listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I love that we have a God that's got life for us. And you know, you may hear those words and just think, well, that's hype. Hype is, hype is trying to hype something up to a place that uh, it cannot get to. We can never hype our God. Our God has, uh, He is in the highest place and He has victory for us. He is always working on our behalf. I love the title of this series, Checkmate, because it means that we are victors, that every in every battle we go through, whatever we are facing in life, because of who our God is, we get to say checkmate. Even when stuff is coming against us, our God is still working for us. Now, a few months ago when uh, I had Ezekiel, the, the Sunday night before I was induced on the Monday, it was a couple of weeks before he was actually due, I was really itchy all night. I couldn't sleep properly, really unwell, and I just knew something wasn't right and went into hospital the next day to have some tests. And they said to me, you know, your liver is failing and it's linked to stillborn deaths in children, so we really need to get this baby out like today. And I, I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm so not ready. I mean, his room's not set up. Like, there's nothing ready. I haven't even got nappies. Like, this is crazy. And I remember in the moment just thinking, this is too full on. Like, God, where are you in this? Like, I wanted to go full term. God, what's going on here? And one of my major things I wanted was mum to be here. And so I phoned mum and she was down at our beach house in New Zealand, two hours from the airport. Uh, but she got on a plane right away. And the amazing thing was that one of the air hostess put her right to the front of the plane, uh, got her a seat right at the front, not knowing her situation at all. And she arrived 40 minutes before Ezekiel was born. And the whole thing, I look back on it now, God's timing was just in the whole thing. I had the best medical team. It was just before legacy. He was actually drew right in the middle of legacy. So him being earlier meant that Craig could be there with me for the week after the birth, meant mum was here earlier. God was just in the entire thing. And at the time it seemed crazy, but I look back now and God was setting us up for a win. See, no matter what we face in life, God says that He loves us and He will turn all things to the good of those who love Him. I love that about our God. 2 Corinthians 15, verse 55 to 58 says, Death, where is victory? Where is your sting? Romans 8, verse 31 to 32, what should we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will we also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We are set up for a win. But we have to have our eyes open to the battle that we are in. You know, it's funny, like at school, if there's a fight, you know, the word fight goes out to the entire school and everybody comes running. Fight's on! There's something in us that loves a bit of fight, that loves the battle. And the truth is that we are in a battle every day of our lives. The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities in the unseen realm. That there is this battle going on in the heavenlies between angels, between demons, between our God, between Satan. And we are on the victor's side because of who our God is. But we have to be aware of the battle. I love the passage where it talks about in the Bible of 
Elisha and his servant, an entire army has come around their city to take them out, to attack them. And Elisha's servant is freaking out. And he's like, what are we going to do about this, Elisha? And Elisha said, praise God, open his eyes. And he sees the armies of heaven, the chariots, the horsemen, the angels around the city that are fighting on behalf of Elisha. And we, I pray that our eyes would be open in the same way, that we would realise that who is fighting for us is greater than those against us. You know, when the devil fell from heaven and he took a third of all his angels, he only took a third. That means two thirds are fighting for us and there's only a third against us. How amazing is that? And we have a God who is totally victorious. I pray that our eyes would be open. See, the most frustrating thing I think is being a spectator at a sports game. It might just be my personality, but I want to be in there. I want to be in the mix of things. And it's hard just to sit back and spectate. I remember my dad coming to my sports games and he hated to spectate. And he would be on the field yelling at me. He, had, he was a farmer and he had a chopped off finger and he would have his little stubby finger out. And he would be yelling at everybody and in the mix yelling at the ref. He'd be sent off the field, but he'd just be so passionate because he'd, be, he'd want to be involved in the game. And I find myself the same now with my kids' games. Watching Zion a couple of weeks ago in a league game and a kid threw a punch at him. I find myself rising up where I'm seated and almost about to take out a nine-year-old because <laughs> there's something that I hate to spectate. You want to be in the mix. And we've got to realise that we can't just spectate in the spiritual battle that we're in. We can't just be on the sidelines hoping that victory is just going to come our way. No, there's got to be something in us that is fight ready, that is taking up the sword of the Spirit, that's putting on the armour of God, which we're going to look at in a few weeks' time, that is equipped to know how to fight, to take up our weaponry and make sure the devil doesn't take any space in our world whatsoever. Come on, we've got to be fight ready. See, if we're not fight ready, the enemy is. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Come on, he's looking to devour. He's looking to take us out. And if we're not aware of that, then so often we end up just missing what is actually going on. We end up being consumed by what we see before us in flesh and blood rather than realising what's actually going on behind the scenes, that there is something far greater happening behind the scenes than we realise. So today what we're going to actually look at is how the enemy works, who the enemy is and what his strategies are. And it's not often something we talk about in church because we don't want to glorify the enemy you know, he is, he is a piece of mud. He is not often worthy of even mentioning because his, our God is so much greater. But we do need to know how he works. And we do need to know his strategies to know how he's going to come against us. So the Bible talks about him being the destroyer, as we've just seen, the devourer. He wants to devour our lives. He, wants, he hates us. He wants to destroy us. It also says he is the father of lies. John 8 verse 44, 
uh, it's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and He says, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is how Jesus talks about him. Not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Come on, that's who he is. And Revelation 12 verse 10, it talks about how he's our accuser, that he is constantly before God accusing us. We hear a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 14 that he is our, he's the deceiver. You know, often we have this image of Satan with the devil and the horns and the pitchfork, but it's actually very different to who he he is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 14, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Come on, he's a deceiver. It looks good, what he says. He'll often come and tempt us and only tell us half-truths. Like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, you will know good and evil. You will have the knowledge of good and evil. You will be like God. He didn't tell them the other part of the truth. That meant that once they tasted that apple, they would know all evil, that they would be subjected to evil for the rest of their lives. He didn't tell them that part. And that's what he does to us when he comes and tempts us with stuff. He just gives us a portion of the truth and it makes it sound so good. He wants to deceive us into settling for what he has for us. See, the only strategy the enemy has is to lie, to trick, and deceive us. That's the only strategy, the one strategy he has. Because when we are in proximity to God, we have victory. So he wants to separate us from that that proximity by tricking us. Now, I love war stories. And one war story I recently read was about a guy called Tommy McPherson. And he was uh, one of the renegades that was behind uh, German lines in France. And he would do, him and five others would plan these attacks against uh, Germany while they were in France. They would bomb bridges, they would bomb railways, they would seize uh, vehicles, supply vehicles, they would uh, do booby traps and kill Germans. And they, uh, they were just known there was a reward on their heads. They were wanted because of everything they did. And it came to the end of the war and the Germans were retreating from France. And there was one particular bridge that this army of 23,000 men needed to cross. And there were these five guys, this, uh, this band, Tommy McPherson and his men, were guarding this bridge and they knew that the troops were on their way. And so they knew the only chance they had was to lie and to trick the army. And so they went to the leader of the army and said, we have a whole army on the other side of the bridge with tanks, with military, with weaponry, and we will take you out if you cross this bridge. And the German army, they believed the lie. They laid down their weapons. 23,000 men were tricked by five men. And the entire army laid down their weapons. They waited for trucks to arrive. And then they were taken as prisoners of war. It's one of the great war stories. And I was reading that and thinking, you know, that's exactly how the enemy works in our lives. He wants to trick us and deceive us into laying down our weapons 
And so that we then become his prisoners. But all he's got up his sleeve is just this measly little thing that has nothing on us. Yet so often we believe his lies and we're tricked into being deceived by him. And we end up becoming his prisoners because we believe the wrong thing. And my prayer is today is that we would be awoken to how deceptive the enemy is to his strategies in our life and realize the victory that we actually have in our God. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus and the enemy's tricks of warfare that he used when he went for Jesus. So the first thing he did is that he tried to sabotage the surrender of Jesus. And we see this in Matthew 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, so Jesus is in this place of complete surrender. There is nothing like fasting to get you in that place. He is in this place of proximity to God, relying on God, trusting in Him, relying on His strength. And then the devil comes along and he's like, hey, take matters into your own hands. Tell these stones to become bread. Satisfy your appetite. Satisfy your desire. Take things into your own hands. Don't submit any longer. And Jesus comes back to him and says, I don't need to live by bread alone, but who my God is. He is my supplier. And I love that. See, what the enemy will do in our lives is he'll try and attack our surrender. He'll try and get us living in our own strength. See, our strength is found in our surrender. Our strength is found in our submission, living submitted to who our God is. In 2 Corinthians, I love this, 12 verse 7 to 10 in the message version, it says, because of the extravagance of these revelations, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given a gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. But what he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. I love that passage. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. I love that. Amazing. Our weakness, Paul says, is so critical that we need it because it keeps us relying on Him. Come on, do we see our weaknesses like that? That we would boast in our weakness because in our weakness, then we are strong. Come on, do we see our weaknesses in that way? See, our weaknesses are opportunities for God to move through us. They aren't there to show how weak we are. They are there to reveal how great our God is. But so often, it is easy to tackle our weaknesses through our own strength 
rather than just actually living submitted to who our God is. Like James 4 verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from him. See, what I find we often do though is just try and resist the devil without realising the power in our resistance actually comes from our submission. So are we living first and foremost submitted? Because it's only out of that that we can actually resist the devil. When it comes to things like anxiety, do we just try and resist anxiety, try and fight against it, or do we actually submit our worries to God first and out of that resist anxiety? Come on, when it comes to things like fear, do we just try and resist fear or are we actually submitting every thought that we have to the Word of God? Knowing that God's Word is the truth that we need. It's out of submission first, then resistance. <clears throat> when it comes to sexual temptation, do we just find ourselves in tempting environments trying to resist? And then the next thing you know, we're stuffing up again. And we wonder why we're stuffing up. It's because we're not living submitted first. So when you live submitted, before you get to that place of temptation, you're going, God, how do I need to live differently that I'm not actually going to get there? Are we actually submitted to His will for our lives when it comes to the sexual side of who we are? I actually, I wrote this down and I thought it was great if I don't say so myself, but submission says, God, what does it look like? to live how you want me to live and to do it your way. It's including God in the picture before the temptation even comes. Come on, are we living submitted? Not just resisting the enemy, but actually choosing to live our lives in a way that's in submission. Mum and Dad were here um, in the few weeks that Ezekiel was here and we had such great time together and we uh, did lots of walking and chatting together and I had this conversation with dad about when he used to smoke when we were younger. And I remember it really clearly because I was really upset as a little girl because he would try and hide it. He was really ashamed of it. And just for the record, smoking doesn't separate us from God at all, but it's not the best for us, obviously. It's not healthy. And and so dad was just in this place where he was battling this addiction to smoking in it. It started when he was nine years old. He didn't have a dad at the time and he would do a paper run and this older gentleman befriended him and taught him how to smoke. And so he had smoked from the age of nine and Then he'd quit when he found God and then we uh, went farming and farming got really stressful and he ended up taking it up again. And so I talked to dad and I said, I still remember that as a little girl being really upset because I knew how much it upset you. And he said, yeah, I, I remember crying out to God one night on my knees going, God, would you take this away from me? I don't want to do this anymore. And just in this place of absolute desperation and God said to him, Stop trying. Just stop trying. I've got this. And then the next Sunday, there was somebody visiting and preaching, and Dad went and got prayer from him, and he prayed that the power of smoking would be broken. But then he said to Dad, God wants you to stop working for your salvation and just to trust him and rest in him. And from that moment, the power of smoking for dad, he said it was lifted in an instant. He went and had a cigarette that afternoon and he said it tasted like tar in his mouth. 
But he went from this place of trying to fight it on his own to actually getting fully surrendered and just trusting his God. So often we try and fight the battle on our own. I love what Cy Rogers said when he had to go through a lot of stuff, getting out of everything he'd walked through. He said the power of it wasn't when he just tried to resist, but when he actually lived surrendered to God. And out of that, that's when the overcoming came for him. I mean, are we living truly surrendered? Or are we just trying on our own? The next thing the enemy wants to do, is this good? <clears throat> the next thing the enemy wants to do His strategy is to mess with our minds. Matthew 4, again, temptation of Jesus and the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, come on, he'll always come and question our identity. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Come on, he's trying to mess with Jesus. He's trying to mess with his mind. He's trying to mess with the Word of God. Jesus came back to him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Come on, how often does the enemy do that in our lives? He comes to us and he tries to mess with our thinking. He tries to mess with the Word of God. He tries to mess with our convictions. Come on, he tries to mess with our faith. He tries to get us confused, get us doubting, get us questioning things. And it's fantastic, the series that we've just had, Elephant in the Room, as long as it leads to a deeper conviction, not more confusion. Come on, we've got to get to a place where we are strong in our convictions and who God has called us to be. What His Word says, what His Word asks of us, we've got to be people of conviction. Come on, we're living in a world today where everything is fluid. Our gender is fluid. Our sexuality is fluid. What we want to be is just fluid. What we want to think is fluid. But that's why there's so much anxiety around because our mind actually needs truth. We need concrete truth. We need to teach our brain how to think. We need to make sure the enemy doesn't take ground, bringing confusion, bringing disunity in our thinking because it just leads to bad fruit in our lives. Come on, there's got to be something in us that stands firm. Ephesians 6, four times it says, stand firm, stand up. Do not let the enemy take any ground in our lives. Come on, we've got to be people of conviction. (laughs) There's got to be something in us that would stand. And what God says, who He's called us to be, stand in His authority. Come on, stand as His kids. We've got to be people conviction. Come on, I come back all the time to the encounter that I had with Jesus when I was a little girl. To what He's done in my world, the love that I experienced in Him, the joy, the peace. And that allows me to trust His Word because every time I've trusted His Word, He He has come through in an amazing way. Come on, He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of us trusting in His promises. But come on, we cannot allow the enemy to mess with our thinking. You know, the enemy is attacking the Word of God today. He is all about dismantling the power and the truth of God's Word because he knows that when we hear the Word of God, it builds faith in our lives. And when we have faith, we're able to access the kingdom of heaven We're able to access everything God has for us. And he wants to to break that down in our lives. So instead, as James says, we'll live by doubt, just going to and fro, and we'll never enter into anything God has for us. Come on, we've got to trust the Word of God. 
and she accept it as truth, not keep questioning it. Because that's what breeds strength in our lives. That's what brings true fruit, the people of conviction. I love Lee Struble's story. Who was a, he was a famous journalist in the States. He was a strong atheist. And his wife got saved and he saw such change in her across the course of a year that he thought, well, I better investigate this thing, this thing called Jesus, Christianity. I better give it a go if I've seen that much change in my wife. And it's an amazing story if you want to read it, The Case for Christ. And he does an entire, he searches the world about who Jesus was, the resurrection of Jesus. He goes into all historical data. And this is what he comes back to. He prayed as an atheist. He asked God to convince him if he really did exist. He prayed this at the beginning of his investigation. God, I don't believe you're there. I'm convinced you're not. But if you are there, I want to meet you. I want to know you. And he said, one by one, his objections evaporated. I read books by skeptics, but their counter arguments crumbled under the weight of the historical data. No wonder atheists so often come up short in scholarly debates over the resurrection. In the end, he said, after I had thoroughly, after a whole year of investigating the matter, I, the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The stakes were too high, he said. If God did exist, it would change everything. So on November 18th, 1981, Struble made a decision to become a Christian. And he said, my eternity changed, my life changed in ways that I never foresaw. The evidence is what tipped the scales, he said. If this is true, then Christ deserves my allegiance, my world, my all. How amazing is that? Come on, we're gonna be people of conviction. Look at the truth of what we walk in. Come on, we've, we've got to know the God that we serve. This thing called heaven and hell, it's real. Eternity is real. And I often say this, but if we believe this thing, come on, we've got to live like it. I love what C.S. Lewis says, Christianity is fo- if false is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. But so often we live apathetic. Come on, we live like it's just a Sunday thing. Come on, we've got to allow Him to consume our whole lives. Come on, He's worthy of every part of who we are. He is so worthy of our complete devotion. Which brings me to the last point where the enemy will try and work in our lives is he will try and waste our worship. He'll try and waste our worship. Matthew 4, verse 8 to 11. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Which again is a lie. It's not his to give. But Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and the angels came and attended to Jesus. The devil hates our worship. In Revelation 12, it talks about how he used to be one of the highest of all angels and he 
got pride into his heart. He wanted to be the one that was worshipped, not God. And so he was cast out of heaven. And from that day, he is, he is seeking to take worship from our God. See, we need worship. It's not just so God would enjoy our worship, but we need worship. If the team can come and join me, please. It's not just the cool thing we do when we walk into a service on a Sunday morning to get us prepped for the Word. No, there is power in worship. Worship acts as a weapon in our lives. It is strategic. God has given it to us. Because every time we worship, it brings down God's presence into our lives and it breaks open things that we need breaking open only by His power, not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 to 14, and King Solomon, he's questioned, is this life really worth it? He comes to the end of this conclusion. He says, the end of the matter, all this has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man to fear God and keep His commandments. And that's what true worship is. It's living in devotion. The word worship actually means to bow down in reverence, to give honour and respect. We are made to worship. God created us to worship Him. It's where we find peace. It's where we find joy. It's where we find completeness. But if we are not worshipping Him, we are worshipping something else. And whatever we worship, we give an authority in our lives. We may worship our career. We may worship relationships. We may worship stuff in our lives. And when we do that, it gives those things an authority in our lives and it allows those things to rule us. So we look back on our lives one day and realise that all we've done is built a career that really means nothing. All we've done is got stuff in our lives that's not going to go with us into eternity. All we've done is build our lives around a relationship where it just causes more frustration because we're trying to get so much from that relationship that we were never meant to get. Our completeness comes in worship. If you look at what worship releases in our lives, it brings God's presence. Psalm 22 verse 3, He inhabits the praises of His people. Come on, when we worship in spirit and truth, when we tune everything out, you know, worship is the only thing we can do that engages our body, soul, and spirit. It engages every part of who we are. When we truly engage in spirit and in truth, it brings His presence. It brings deliverance. Come on, Paul and Silas in jail, bound up, imprisoned, could have, feel, could have felt sorry for themselves, but they praised and they worshipped. And it didn't just break their chains, but it break, broke all the chains around them. Come on, worship brings deliverance. It brings breakthrough in our lives. Those things that have tried to oppress and take us down, worship is the power that we need because it means that God fights on our behalf. It brings victory. King Jehoshaphat, they're surrounded by this huge army. And instead of freaking out, he goes to God and he bows before God. He says, what should we do? And God says, worship me. And as they worship Him, the enemy turn against themselves. And the kingdom, the people of Israel walk into an amazing victory that day. Come on, worship brings us victory. Come on, it's the victory that we need. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, where you need victory, it's worship that we need. Come on, it brings revelation. 
Elijah was brought before the king and the king needed a word of revelation. Elijah asked for the harpist to be, drawn, to be brought and he engages in worship and the revelation comes from God. Come on, there is power in our worship. I know about you, but I know I need to draw his presence more in worship. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.